Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. All right, let's jump in here. I guess you could say this is like the fourth message in uh, the, the Great Love of God series that we've been talking about. You know, we started a few weeks ago talking about God's love and God's love from a perspective that it's not just how He feels about you. It's not just His intention towards you. And it's not just His motivation. In other words, when we say, well, we love some, we, I love you or we love someone or we think about God's love, we think about, well, He's our Father and He loves us. Or we think about he sent Jesus to die for us. So in other words, it's these acts of acts of kindness and acts of love that he's done for us. But then scripture also talks about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts as if it's an actual, tangible, substantive force. And so, you know, I kind of presented this idea that the love of God could be thought of as like a spiritual law. You know, we've got the natural laws. We've got um, gravity, strong and weak nuclear force that holds everything in place and keeps everything suspended where it is in the universe, and electromagnetic spectrum, and, and, and the standard model of physics. And there's, you know, there's, there's this consistent laws to the natural realm that we live by and affect everything that we, you know, we just live within this realm of natural law. I think that there are also spiritual laws like the natural laws that keep everything intact, but they're higher laws. And so when we get there, we will live within those natural spiritual laws. And it'll be amazing, you know. Over there, I think that there, I did a series a while back. It's probably been a few years, but I kind of redid the standard model from a spiritual perspective. And, and it's, it's love and grace and righteousness, and these things that are not just ideas and not just standards, but actual powers and forces that are active in our lives. Because we're in that spiritual dimension, and in that dimension is where those laws have their consistency. Are you with me? So God's love being shed abroad in your heart, I think, is an actual, actual effective thing. It's not just an idea. It's not just how He feels about you. His love is a spiritual force coming into your heart doing things. And what it primarily says that the love of God does is bring you to a place of wholeness. So that when you're struggling, like me, right? When I can experience the love of God, it, it, it overrides the silliness of getting irritated by the kids fighting over the tree. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like dumb things that we let irritate us. And I know that that's benign and nothing, but, but general, you know, genuinely, when you got to go be around those people that's, that's very difficult for you to go be around and you're having the meals and it's, you know, we, we struggle. In those moments, we actually can turn our hearts and open to God to let Him love us in those moments and His love become an active force on the inside of us that overrides the struggle, that overrides the past, that overrides the, the trauma or the hurt right? Because you might have to go be around people that legitimately victimized you or were abusive on whatever level it might be. 
And, it, and it's not easy. However, the love of God is effective in your life, bringing you to a place of wholeness, even to the point where that stuff doesn't have effect over you anymore, right? Like maybe some of you have gone through abuse and trauma and difficulties, but yet there's been such a healing in your heart that it evokes no emotion in you at all to be in a similar situation. You think, you remember it, you know what it was like, you can speak to other people about it and describe it, but it doesn't touch you inwardly any longer and change your behavior at all. You know, um, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit, but I, I was watching this Mike Tyson podcast, the Mike Tyson the Boxer, and there's this guy talking about, he's like, yeah, when, when people make me angry, I just cut them off. And he's like, he's like oh, then the devil wins. Mike Tyson said, oh, then the devil wins. And it's like, and the guy said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, they're making you change. If somebody hurts you and you shut them off, they're controlling you. You're still letting them control you. And I'm, it's like, Whoa. he's probably high on mushrooms, <laughs> punch drunk from all those fights, but then that jumps out of his mouth and you're like, oh, my goodness, that's pretty amazing. But it's true. You know, when, when you are, have unnecessary guards up, whatever that situation is, you're allowing it to control you. Whereas the love of God poured directly into your inner man, especially when you're struggling. And so what does the love of God do? It shows you your worth and your value to Him so that outside of here, if there's something that touches on your insecurities or maybe there's not a value and a respect that you should have in this world around you, the kind of love that God pours on the inside of you gives you such a sense of self-worth inwardly that no matter what anybody does outwardly, it doesn't change your value, your self-image, your self-esteem, your self-worth. You can stand rock solid knowing, not even having to judge that person, but knowing, no, I'm secure in Christ. The world can come at me, but it, you know, the, like Jesus said, the enemy comes, but he has nothing in me. And I, you know, I have conversations regularly, and I'm, I'm thinking about in a marriage situation where maybe one spouse or the other is kind of struggling with just a sense of value and a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. And so therefore, they then look to the other spouse to maybe create this sense of meaning and it's this intangible that they're looking for. And so then it gets rolled onto the spouse. Well, you're not making me happy. And that, that, that unhappy spouse can't really articulate what they're trying to say because it's a deeper sense of meaning that they're missing, right? But knowing who you are in Christ and experiencing that love inwardly, it just fills up all those gaps and holes and heals and makes everything whole and healed up inside of there. That's what I pray that the love of God, your experience with God's love for you does, brings you to such a place of wholeness and healing that nothing can take away your peace, your joy. And that's what the, that's what the early apostles and, and so many martyrs that we've heard about throughout, all throughout history face these atrocious situations of being imprisoned and, and facing horrific deaths. Why? They can go through those things because they're just singular on where they are in that moment and God's love for them and knowing that to be with Him is greater than any loss we might experience in this life. And 
but the, but, but the way to experience it is for you to intentionally reach out with your heart and engage the hand of God that is reaching towards you. You don't just sit back and say, well, God fix this or God this or, you know, I, I just don't see God as the puppet master making every little thing happen withholding from you or giving to you at his discretion. He's given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. He's given you Christ. What else does he have to give you? If you're not experiencing wholeness and health in him, it's on you to open up your heart to let that be birthed into your life. Are you with me? So these messages, we've been just walking through some information and some stories about within Scripture that hopefully turn our hearts to be open to let ourselves be loved into that place of wholeness by Him. Your salvation is secure because Christ gained it and earned it and gave it to you as a free gift. Your faith is in Him for that. But to thrive in life is up to you. To to be made whole emotionally and experience spiritually deeply that which Christ has done for you, it's up to you. No more victim mentality. Man, I just listened to All right, so I've got a section of Scripture here that I want to read through. It's John 6. Kind of, kind of a larger section, but I'm just going to read straight through, comment a little bit, and then we're going to take communion together. So, so the, the point of this is recognizing what Jesus is saying, um, learning, yes, learning. I'm doing, I'm, you know, it's, it's more about presenting what he went through in this moment to kind of frame our mindsets going into this season that we're going into. But as we read through this, you know, l- listen with your heart, pay attention to the words of Jesus, what he's actually saying, and, and take it personally. Internalize it as if it's meaningful for you, and in fact, food for you. But this, this, So this selection here that we're going to read from, it's interesting language and wording. It gets down to the point where Jesus says, you know, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I, you may or may not know this, but back in that time, he was actually accused of promoting cannibalism. Like, like there, there are writings that talk about the idea that it was looked at as maybe cult-like, like a cannibal cult, you know. And, but he, of course he was talking spiritually. And just for the record, when we take communion, you know, I'm not necessarily really thinking this uh, transubstantiation thing happens where it's the actual body, like the bread turns into the actual body and the blood or the, the juice turns into the actual blood. You know, there are people that do believe that. I think you have something better. You already have the spiritual DNA life of Christ on the inside of you. You have the blood of Christ, that spiritual life blood of Christ, constantly being poured out into you, keeping you sanctified, and and presenting the opportunity for you to clear your conscience. Because God's not holding your sin. So last week we talked about that idea of looking at God's judgment poured out on Christ so that you never have to be afraid of being judged by God so that when you trust God wholly and you're not afraid of him thinking he's going to do something difficult in your life, then you can actually trust him and and let him love you into that place of wholeness. Amen? 
So you don't have to ever be afraid of God judging you because Christ bore all of it on your behalf. Now, that doesn't mean that you just get to run out and live sinfully uh, without consequence because we still are experiencing sowing and reaping. Sin will reap death and destruction in and of itself. But as far as God's concerned, He's not holding your sin against you. He's not keeping a record of wrongs. He sees it. Some people will say, you know where it says that uh, God will remember your sins no more? Some people will say, well, God doesn't even see my sin. No, He sees it. He, he certainly sees it. And it's in His face when you engage in it. But miraculously so, He's not going to judge you for it. He's not holding it against you. He will convict you. In other words, that's not who you are. That's not how I want you to live. Christ paid for you to break free from that, but He will not condemn you, and there's a difference. So if you feel that sense of guilt and shame when the standard of God rises up because you've sinned, that's appropriate. That means your conscience is still soft to the law and the righteousness of God in terms of moral living. But to then think, oh my goodness, well then it's too late for me, I'm going to send my way out of the grace of God, or God's going to take his hand off of me, or man, one more sin and I'm going to hell. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the legalist and the immature person hears that and thinks, well, that's a license to sin. And the mature person says, well, you dummy, no, it's not. Sorry, I didn't mean to look over there and say that. <laughs> so let's read through this. This is Jesus speaking. Now you take out of this what speaks to you, okay? All right, so I'm actually just going to get you to follow me along, Eric, back there, if you would. So this is in the ESV, um, verse, starting in verse, this, this is John 6, starting in verse 27. And that's mostly Jesus speaking, but it's pretty evident when it bounces back and forth. So, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Don't, do you want to know this question? What do we do? What do we do to work the work, to work the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe. Say believe. believe. Now just take a minute and just think, okay, what does God expect from me? Believe. believe. And there's a sense of rest in it. So even take a deep breath. Believe. What does he expect from? Of course he expects obedience, fruit, all of that stuff. But that's a result of your heart being persuaded. That's what belief is, is trusting him. Believe. And, and so to me, trust is built in your heart toward him when you learn of what he did and went through for you. Are you with me? Believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? <laughs> they jumped to a sign that we may see and believe. Well, what are you going to do to cause us to believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat, and which, which is amazing because, yeah, leave it on that one. He, then re, he just responds to where they approach him from, right? He, he meets them where they are and speaks, okay, well, that's what you want to talk about? All right, here we go. Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father. Let's get one thing. Let's get that straight first. That was the Father that did that. 
but the Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said, then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the rage began to build. <laughs> Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Listen, these mindsets where you're to thirst and hunger after God and be desperate for God and chase revivalism and go where the move of God is and all this stuff. I'm not saying don't go participate in areas where miracles and stuff are breaking out and all that, but just know that you have the bread of life inside of you, sustaining you always. You don't need to go anywhere and get anything from anybody because you're complete in Him. Amen? being fed and nourished daily, wholly and fully. And certainly we can participate in external things and enjoy one another's company and do ministry together. And, and maybe God is picking particular bodies and doing things through them. Certainly He's alive and active and do whatever, do whatever He wants to do. But this mindset of desperation, that's, that's unhealthy. That doesn't... That, that mindset doesn't know the completeness that we have in Christ. So, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Say, God will never cast me out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life. And when does, when does eternity begin? If you have eternal life, when does eternity begin? Not when you die. Like, God's not waiting for you to die to be nicer to you. Like, like what's, your gonna, what's your life going to be like in heaven? He's not waiting for you to die out of this realm to give you that kind of life now. Now, we've got these bodies, we've got these minds, we've got these, you know, sinful actions that are still reaping death and destruction in our lives. But, man, I'm telling you, God is giving us life in this moment. And that, that's for us to be, Jesus prayed even that way. That's, we have to work that out in our hearts. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, He's drawing all to him. You know, God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
Now he's getting to the point where he's really about to say some radical things, but if we, if we learn to live from this perspective of, of honoring and understanding and engaging the flesh and the blood of Christ as a life-giving spiritual force on the inside of us. So let me, let me keep going, then I'll comment. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Just, just think about that for a minute. Here's Jesus. I am the bread of life. You know, whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, whatever anything, or people that you know, how can you serve to them this bread of life? How can you engage the bread of life for yourself? So your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that come down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, now you would think he would kind of back off a little bit, soften it a little bit, make it more palatable. Man, no, he goes for the throat here. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You shall have no life. Whoever feeds on, and this is why I chose the ESV, because this idea, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, you do this when you get born again and and are changed and indwelt by the Spirit of God, and He gives you a new heart and He puts a Spirit in you and seals you for that final day, but then also lives through you to anoint you and empower you to flow, first off to experience fruit, but then to flow in the gifts outwardly, you know. Feed, doing Christian work, bearing fruit or walking in the power, it's not about getting more anointing or learning more secrets or any of that kind of stuff. It's in the moment, feeding on his flesh, Drinking of his blood because that is life. That is what gives us life. And in those moments where we need to see fruit or operate in the Spirit, that's what you need. You need the life of God nourishing you and strengthening you. You know, it's, it's like, think of natural food. You know, if you want more energy and strength and we know what to eat, why don't we, why don't we eat what we know we should eat? How many of you always eat everything that you know you should eat all the time, every day, all day? <laughs> we do the same thing with the life, blood, the, the flesh, and the blood of Christ. I mean, literally, we have the opportunity to feed on Him, to be nourished and strengthened by His Spirit in every situation where we lack nothing. Verse 55, for my flesh is true Food. Look at that. I mean, think about this statement. You know, use this as a meditative exercise this week. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Leave it on that for just a second there. Think, think about what he's saying. He knows what he's saying. He's not just, 
It's not just a metaphor. Yes, he's talking about a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality, but it's an actual living, active thing. Do you, how do you do that? How, how do you shut the world out, connect with His Spirit inwardly to be nourished and strengthened? Because the, the act, the repentant act is the intentional choosing to feast on Him. Repentance meaning I'm going to change the way that I think. I'm engaged in this situation where I'm being tempted to go back into this kind of lifestyle, but that's not where I want to go. So what am I going to do? I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to take a walk, whatever it is for you. But I'm going to laser focus my attention on Him. I am choosing to sit down in this moment and feast on Him. So that is what strengthens me. That is what nourishes me. That is what bears fruit in me. Rather than me feeding on this momentary situation, rather than me feeding on this situation that gives me depression, rather than feeding on this relationship that's toxic for me. I'm going to stop, I'm going to shut it out, and I'm going to feed on Christ because I know that that's going to give me life. I'm not sure what this out here is going to give me. It might give me temporary pleasure. It might give me some fun times or even some fulfillment, most likely death. But feeding on Him is going to give me life. What, what does that look like for you? How do you do that? How do you intentionally sit down to feast on this spiritual life that God is giving you? Because it will have an effect. It's like the love of God being shed abroad in your heart that helps you know that He loves you so that you feel safe and you can admit those failures about yourself. You can admit that you're struggling in this area where if you try to do it in your own strength, you can't face it. And you shut it out and then you just keep on repeating the same cycle unto death. But when you are experiencing His love for you, man, you can face anything. You can overcome anything. And it's a choice. And the people around you are dying to see somebody show them what it looks like to live under the power of God. For you personally, and then for them also. True food and true drink. You know, you know when, they, when Jesus went and uh, ministered to the woman at the well and revealed to her that he was the Messiah, you know, gave her that word of knowledge, and she went into the town and evangelized the whole town. And then the disciples came to him, and they said, uh, Do you, are you hungry? He's like, no. Basically, he says, my food is to do the will of my Father. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not before, but when you, when you follow through on something that you really feel like that God's led you to do, and it's just so satisfying and rewarding. I mean, you, you genuinely feel a sense of satisfaction, a fullness from it, you know? I pray that. I pray that in the face of anything, you can stop, turn your attention to Him, feed on that life and flesh blood of Christ, and be nourished, and come to a place of wholeness where there's no appetite for anything outwardly that would cause death and destruction in your heart and mind, that you can turn it out. You know, the Spirit of God is a real thing, alive and active. It's not just an idea that we're trying to figure out how to get to out there. 
You know, we're in the midst of the spiritual dimension of God in this moment. Christ said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My kingdom doesn't come with outward observation. It's in you. You know, just, just like you're living in a three-dimensional world, you know, you can go this way, that way, and up and down. We're, we're in this three-dimensional perspective, and then whatever gravity and time is is also permeating through this three-dimensional perspective, and we're feeling an effect of it and all that. So is the spiritual kingdom of God in the midst of our experience. It's just a higher order of law, but you experience in your heart that you can engage in that transcends the darkness and the death of this realm. And what it looks like is you can recognize that you're depressed and struggling and upset or facing anxiety or afraid or worried or you keep making decisions, poor financial decisions over and over, but you're ready to stop that. You're ready to end the toxic relationships. You're ready to end whatever cycles that you're in. What does it look like for you to stop and feed on Him? Maybe you find a bunch of passages and scriptures that relate to that area of your life and you renew your mind and His knowledge and His wisdom so that you think like He thinks, knowing that His Word, as you plant it in your heart, will bear fruit and change you. Man, praise God. True food and true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Sometimes, like, like, you know, sometimes we're like, ooh, I really feel the anointing. You know what I mean? Or you sense the presence of God. God doesn't come and go. That, that's our awareness, right? I, I only say that because I, I, wanna, I want to try to put things in that are useful and helpful. And so, like, when I think about these kinds of things, what I try to do is I try to slow my inner thought processes down and I try to relax what I feel like is the inside of me. And, and it's funny because neurochemically that creates a sense of relaxation and almost euphoria. And so I'm not trying to just have a carnal experience and get my body to feel good. I, I'm just trying to relax in such a way where I'm, I feel like I'm hosting the capacity for His Spirit to do something within me without me, the, my power, my force, my are you, does that make sense to you? Now, that might not be useful for you, but for me it is. And, and it, it works for me. I can change my thinking like that. Sometimes I put it off, but when I actually do it, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue. <laughs> he wasn't just out in the street. He went into the place where, you know, you, I mean, you're talking people ripping their clothing because it was part of their culture if they heard what they thought was blasphemy to kill him. No. This is, this is blasphemous, but it's, it's life-giving for us. Amen? So the, let's have the band slide back up here. And if you will, um, 
get your elements ready because I just want to put put the slide up uh, that says uh, true true food and true drink. Which verse was that? Was it 55? I think it might have been. Um, there we go. Let, let's let this be our meditation as you want to just play, give us something a little nice. If you will, as they're getting ready, you can take out, let's call it a wafer. And just think about that. Think about on the cross, him offering himself for you. We know that he's the sin offering for the world. I'm reminded of this in the moment that in Passover, you know, Passover was the final evening for the Israelites before they were uh, the exodus out of Egypt. They'd been in slavery for a long time in Egypt. They were God's chosen people. God brought all the judgments on Israel. The last judgment was going to be the angels sweep through the land and take the firstborn of anybody who did not have the blood on the doorposts. So God led them in the first Passover to take the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the doorposts, but then they also ate the sacrifice of the lamb. And that's still a tradition today to celebrate the Passover feast is to eat what's called the Paschal sacrifice. And I just want to think, I just want us to think about that. You know, as we, as we symbolically eat this and drink this, we're remembering what Christ did for us. In his body, on that cross, he bore the full penalty of the curse of the law so we don't ever have to be cursed by God or judged by God for our sin. He already took that for us. We can come to him with open hearts, fully confessing our wrongs, knowing that we're accepted, and we'll receive nothing but empower to live a better way. You can trust Him. You can trust God because of what Christ did on that cross. On that cross, in His body, He bore our diseases and our sicknesses so that we could walk in health, spirit, soul, and body. The veil of His flesh is that which we enter the presence of God. Now just think about what is His body, what does His flesh mean to you? It gives us life because he died for us. It's a seed. He died so we could have life. And so, Jesus, we thank you. Just tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being obedient to the death of the cross. And we remember your body as we take this. And then, of course, his blood is shed. Without the remission, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And why? It's because the life is in the blood. So life had to be exchanged. Blood is life. It represents life. It is life. And his blood, so, so like I just all of a sudden start thinking about his body in heaven. He can manifest into this realm as he did after the resurrection. But I'm thinking about what his blood is like. It's life. It's, and, and it's not just blood. It's what animates him. It's what causes God to be alive. Whatever that spiritual force on the inside of him that causes God to live is represented in his blood. 
It is in his blood, and that is inside of us. Jesus, we thank you. We remember your shed blood to cleanse us, to, to, and that, that cleansing process with your life blood is our sanctification. It cleansed us inwardly, which then left us holy, set apart from God. We are holy before God because he's cleansed us and sanctified us with the blood of Christ. So after making us holy, he removes, probably in that process, he removes that old nature, that old heart, that sin nature. He takes it out of there so that all that's left in you is a place of purity to be inhabited by his spirit with a brand new heart that knows how to follow him. And our job is to keep our conscience clear so that aspect on the inside of us is strengthening and empowering us. That place where God's pouring his love on the inside of us, we, we honor, we recognize, we open, we live from that place. That, that sacrifice of the blood of Christ inside of us, that sweet smelling aroma, strengthening us inwardly daily feasting on his flesh and his blood to live the life of Christ, not in our own strength, but by his spirit. Jesus, we thank you for that, that shed blood. And we remember your blood today as we drink this juice. Man, praise God. <laughs>